How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix. Episode 1, Many-Layered Reality. Part 1. Language is the fundamental foundation of uniformity. Meaning, expressed through language, is how we transmit our expectations to another, and how we receive expectations from another. It is the medium by which our individuality becomes unified with the whole. But it is more than that. It is the intersection point of our bodies with our minds, the intersection of our mind with other minds, and the intersection of singular realities with multiple realities. The expression of meaning does not necessarily mean only vocal or auditory meaning. Language takes a variety of forms, from the physical such as hand language, to the auditory, such as vocal language, to the visual, such as facial expressions. Suffice it to say, a person's ability to express meaning is limited only by his or her imagination. The purpose of this description is to show the five basic mechanisms or levels by which we express meaning in a spatial sense. We express it through hand language, through our facial expressions, through our body posture and posing, through our voice, and finally through our location proximate to other objects or people. These are what I call the spatial plates of reality. For each of these plates represents a separate intersection between our expectations and the expectations of others. We create expectations by our hand, body language, we create them by our words, we create them by our facial expressions and we create them by our location in space. Just as the shells or cycles of our rhythms modulate our expectation field unconsciously, the shells of meaning represent the modulation of our expectation field consciously. The expression of meaning modulates the expectation field we produce and thereby restricts or undermines our ability to experience the unexplainable. Each shell of the spatial plates represents a distinct level which can be used to modulate our expectation field and thereby either expand or contract our conscious awareness into what is ordinarily unseen. I will start off at the plate of the hands, the lowest of the spatial plates. The expression of the plate of the hands takes the form of spatial transformations. In the expression of meaning through gesture, the plate of the hands uses the medium of spatial transformations to express complex ideas and concepts. These complex ideas and concepts take the form of a narrative. A narrative conveys or expresses tension, just as the rhythms of the body keep tension at bay. This tension represents both the modulation of one's expectation field and the transmission of that tension into the expectation fields of others. Thus, the four spatial shells or plates are overlaid on top of the four shells of bodily cycle. In mathematics, there are four forms of transformations, translation, rotation, reflection and dilation. But in reality, there are other transformations relevant to the expression of meaning which involve these transformations such as in relation to an object. Each of these transformations can be used through the expression of the hands, as a medium to transmit a particular series of concepts or ideas. Implicit in this is that the hands are carriers of emotional tension, the rhythm of tension which is the product of the four shells corresponding to our bodily rhythms. Thus, these four bodily rhythms produce in us four radiating levels of tension, which rise through our bodies into each level which corresponds to the expression of meaning reaching the hands, which is the outermost of the spatial plates or shells. Our basic vocabulary of spatial transformations manifests distinctly as one rises through each of the shells or plates of activity, 
but the same basic vocabulary remains regardless. Each transformation expresses meaning by visually modulating the tension in our bodies. Thus, the tensional waves created by the four shells of bodily rhythm are the stuff of meaning, while the transformations themselves provide the essence. One reveals tension by the velocity by which these transformations are accomplished and the frequency of their occurrence. Altering the manner by which we express meaning has the effect of altering the expectation field we produce and interact with. This may be as simple as using idiosyncratic postures during conversation to negate the expectations of others, or it may be complex as manipulating mirroring techniques within the context of a social dialogue. The goal of glitching is to undermine the rhythm of normal social transmission of bodily tension, to expose the sinews of the interaction and thereby release the unusual beneath it. When one expectation field reaches another through the expression of meaning, the two corresponding individuals will do one of two things. If they agree on the expectation, or the meaning, they will mirror each other's facial expressions, posture, vocal intonation and hand gestures. If they disagree, they will produce contrary or antithetical alignments. This phenomenon is the manifestation of the linking or disconnection of two expectation fields expressed through the bodily tension of the individuals involved. Thus, just as altering one's bodily rhythms can have the effect of dislodging one's expectation field in time, revealing the sinews of the reality beneath, so too can disrupting the linkages between expectation fields reveal the underlying occurrence of the improbable. There are a variety of techniques that can produce such misalignments. First, in a social setting, one can incorporate mirroring into posture, facial expression, hand gesture and vocal intonation, when it is inappropriate, or eliminate it when it is appropriate. One can use odd, idiosyncratic postures, expressions, or movements, which would not usually be mirrored, to produce a similar result. One can simply balk at conformity with the common expectations of a place or setting. One can alter the rhythm by which one consumes a beverage, for example, or alter one's breathing rhythms. There are manifold ways that one can dislodge the regular occurrence of the unification of the expectation field. The methodology behind doing so is limited only by the imagination of an individual social actor. Obviously, because a social setting has more people, there is a greater likelihood of conflict between two expectation fields. Thus, social settings are the most productive places to experiment with creating a glitch. Part 2. There are distinct levels of experience that one can have of reality. And in some of my earlier podcasts, I go so far as to try to describe those layers of reality. But I would like to point out that when I say that reality is layered, what I'm essentially asserting is that there are distinct levels of experience that one can have about reality. And these distinct levels of experience are fundamentally different and fundamentally enmeshed in each other, such that in the ordinary course, if you're on one level, you wouldn't necessarily understand that there is a higher level. But your experiences are nested in so much as they are a part of the higher level such that if you act in a lower level, that action is incorporated into the experience of the higher level. Now I'd like to explore this idea a bit further. The first way I'd like to explore that idea is from the standpoint of interpretation of others' behavior. Now in the ordinary course, when two people are communicating in public or three people or four people or five people, there's a level of expressive behavior below the conscious, which stems from their bodily or their body posture, their body language. 
now we assume that that level of communication body language is nothing more than what it is. It's a physical representation or attenuation of vocal language. What we fail to recognize is that, in fact, body language is more than that. Essentially, what I'm asserting is that each level of expressive language represented by some physical coordinate of our experience is a complete and separate reality in and of itself. So for example, if you look at a person talking to another person in a public place and you were to break down their language to all the various components, starting with their verbal language, their eye contact, their facial movements, their posture, their hand movements, etc., what you would find is that each level of language expresses a distinct component of a nested narrative, and that distinct component of a nested narrative is in and of itself a distinct reality. So, what I'm essentially saying is when someone is speaking to another person and expressing meaning through the various mechanisms of their body, what they're in fact doing is communicating on multiple levels. 5-6. I don't know the exact number, but each of these levels expresses a distinct narrative, and that distinct narrative is reflective of a distinct reality. It is only in experiencing each of these distinct levels of meaning that one can come to understand the full extent of the narratives expressed in a very simple conversation. Now, language is nested, just as I have described, but there's another level of nesting or level to existence or to reality. So, there's another way of looking at the question as well, which is from the standpoint of our thoughts now internally, we interact with our experience of reality by our imagination and our imagination is a kind of projector of our experience. So, what this basically means is when we perceive something, we tend to project an interpretation of that thing upon our experience of reality, which ultimately changes that experience of reality. So, what I'm basically saying is the conclusions that we draw with our imagination, create anticipatory expectations about what ultimately will happen in the near future. And those anticipatory expectations become blended with the substance of being such that our subsequent experience is in some way altered or manifested as a result of the interpretations that we hold internally of our experience or our externalities. So, because the imagination is a projector and because that imagination draws conclusions about reality and also shapes reality, we have to understand that. We have to understand that what we're interacting with in a given moment is more reflection of who we are than it is a reflexive reflection of anything external. So, what I mean by this is if our mind is disjointed, if our thoughts are disjointed, then our experience of reality will be disjointed and reality itself will be disjointed and disconnected. So, let's say you're sitting down and you're watching a television program, and through this television program, you're experiencing the world according to certain narratives. Now, if those narratives are disjointed and disconnected, if your thoughts are disjointed, disconnected, then your mind is going to shape your experience of that television program in such a way that it becomes disjointed and disconnected. And the reason for that is because your thoughts don't just reflect reality. They manifest reality, and as they manifest reality, you interact with it. And so, there's an exaggeration or an inertia to the process of experiencing the reality through an external internal process. Part 3. The first concept I'd like to explain and explore is in relation to the fact that in our individual experience, reality is distinct from everyone else's in the sense that we experience a different slice of reality. 
Now basically, what I mean by that is that the rules that we view as essential to reality are not in fact essential at all and don't govern the subjective experience of other people. So, we have certain expectations about how society and how reality is supposed to function. There's nothing necessitating those rules to be common between the consciousnesses of multiple people, which means that every individual person experiences reality in a completely and totally distinct way. And what I mean by that is that we draw conclusions about other people based upon our theory of mind, our theory of reality, our rules that we use to interpret reality. But the reality is that other people don't share those rules. And in fact, their experience of reality is fundamentally different than ours. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this point up is because it helps us to interpret the many-layered nature of reality. Now, earlier in the previous podcast, I talked a little bit about how reality is layered and there are distinct experiences of reality nested in each other as one goes down through the many levels. And it's important to note that what this means is that, as far as other people go, they may be very, very well on a different level than we are. They may be experiencing a different slice of reality, a different nested existence. And even if we aren't interacting between ourselves and we think that we're expressing meaning and being understood in a certain way, the reality is that the consciousnesses of those other people might exist on a completely different plane or in a completely different reality, which means that their experience of what we are saying or doing might be completely divorced from what we think we are saying and doing. So, it's almost as if one is in a hall of mirrors and one is communicating with another individual on the other side of a one-way mirror. And everything that that person sees through it is distinct in a fundamental way or distorted from the way that we see ourselves. Part 4. Every thought, ultimately, happens in one form or another, and it happens because even if it's not acted upon by the actor who conceives of it in the moment, it happens and it happens because there must be some reality where that thought was acted upon. So the question becomes if it's not acted upon by the actors. So if the actor rejects the impulse or the thought and chooses not to act on it, then who acts on it? Well, as described in last one of the last season's podcast, we live in a nested reality and in this nested reality. There are distinct levels and each of these distinct levels is nested in the one above it and corresponding to each of these levels, there is a physical representation of us. So there in effect are nine versions of us overlapping in their space but not necessarily in time or acting upon the same thought processes and so to speak. So there's an opportunity for divergence between these nine selves. But it's fair to say that they are each nested in the one above, and all of them are nested in the very top, which is the esoteric plate. So from this idea, we can draw some conclusions if we suggest that every thought ultimately is acted upon in some reality whether it's reacted upon by the individual actor in the reality we inhabit or whether or not it's acted upon by another version of us in a lower nested reality really makes no difference because the reality is that every thought ultimately comes to fruition. And at this point, it's necessary to reintroduce the subject matter of the first of the four principles that is substitution and displacement. And essentially the way this fits in is we can say that if an individual doesn't act on an impulse or a thought, then they are displaced. That thought is displaced, and in the place of the original actor, an actor in one of the lower nested realities will act upon the impulse or thought. Which is to say that we go throughout our day and we have impulses here and there, 
We have thoughts here and there, many of them we do not act upon. But from this, we can conclude that even though we do not act upon all of our impulses in some reality and some nested reality, we do. And in this nested reality, we live with the consequences of that choice for so long as they remain permanent. Part 5. The manner by which this episode came to me was through a commonplace everyday experience that your average person would experience quite frequently in their daily life. In fact, this concept came to me while I was watching a friend play video games. It begins with a simple realization. Essentially, that realization is that our mind reacts with programmed responses to specific stimuli. What this means is that our minds act with pre-programmed emotional responses to stimuli in our environment, regardless of whether the environment is real or mere projection, i.e. video games. What this also means is that phantom stimuli, that is, stimuli which mirrors real stimuli in some basic way, can produce the same behavioral responses, whether we like it, or know it, or not. For example, let's say that you're watching someone play video games and that someone you are watching is your spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend. Now, in the video game, that person is interacting with an attractive computer-generated avatar. That avatar is mere artificial intelligence. Such an interaction will produce the same pre-programmed response as would an interaction with a real human being. That is, you will become jealous. Now, it is trite to say that, but that is only the beginning of the discussion. For what we see from this is that our impulses dissolve into the substance of anything we immerse ourselves in, from television, to virtual reality, to hobbies, to building Lego, to playing squash. But there are a few prerequisites for this to work. First of all, it requires the willing suspension of disbelief. Second, it requires the immersion of our attention into some substrate. Third, it requires releasing one's impulses naturally into the subject of one's attention. So these are the three prerequisites, what is the significance? When one allows one's attention to dissolve into anything in this fashion, the result is that fabricated stimuli become as real as the real thing as far as one's impulses and natural programming are concerned. In fact, the result of this dissolving of one's impulses into the subject of one's attention is the sublimation of one's impulses. In effect, identity becomes mutable, and extends into the reality created by that suspension of disbelief, manifesting in a distinct and completely new way. So what does this mean? It means that the suspension of disbelief, the immersion of one's attention into an object, renders our impulses subservient to its substance, and that renders that object a new reality in and of itself. What do I mean by the word reality in this context? A reality created by the dissolution of one's impulses into the substance of an experience represents the transmutation of identity to a distinct plane. Which brings us back to the very beginning of our discussion of the nested nature of reality as set out in the early podcasts of monologues. Each level of expressive language by any given person represents a distinct and nested reality because it represents a separate substrate through which one can acquire an immersive experience and suspension of disbelief. So for example, if we imagine that two people are communicating. One is speaking, the other is listening. The attention of the listener can be fixed on the hand language of the speaker, the posture and posing, the facial expressions, the voice or the location. Each level, each plate, represents a distinct level of meaning, 
which can draw the attention of the listener, and thereby dissolve the impulses of the listener. In this dissolution, the expressive language of the speaker becomes embraced by the anticipatory expectations of the listener, the intuitive projection of the listener. Now, unlike some substrate of experience which is inert, or even programmed, like a video game, the immersive experience represented by another individual's expressive language is different in a distinct way. How is it different? It is different because it is the projection of the speaker first, then and only thereafter, is it the intermingled projection of two individuals, a dynamic and fluid concoction, which might only be said to be a truly alive and fully nested reality. Now, to take a step back, I discussed in the book, how to create a glitch in the matrix, how reality is shaped by our impulses, which reflect our expectations, thus, it becomes clear that in the dissolution of those impulses into a distinct medium for the expression of identity, we are literally seeing the creation of a new nested universe, a nested reality which has as much substance as the reality we exist in during our everyday ordinary lives. That's the end of the podcast for today. If you enjoyed it, please like, comment and subscribe.